0: Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast Helping you make the jump From high school athletics To the collegiate level and beyond With your host, Michael Hebert How have Rachel McMahon's athletic experiences Led her to co-found a startup company With the mission of changing the mental game for athletes Finding purpose in your experiences can be critical to life after sport. Those that find purpose beyond athletics often move on to leverage their competitiveness and drive to build successful professional lives. My guest on this episode, Rachel McMahon, was a walk-on track athlete at Brown University. In episode 21, Rachel discusses how her own mental health challenges and her experiences while running at Brown for four years led her to co-founding Gallia Health which holds the mission of connecting athletes with tailored mental health care. Rachel talks about how being a walk-on allowed her to maintain a growth mindset throughout college and how her interactions with fellow athletes at Brown led to what is now a burgeoning early stage mental health company. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Rachel McMahon. Rachel, how are you today?
1: good thanks so much for that intro mike how are you doing
0: (laughs) i'm doing good it's great to have you here so um if you want to just get started if you want to just give everybody who's listening a little bit of background on who you are and what you do i'm sure my intro didn't didn't do you justice
1: awesome yeah so um i grew up in uh, new york city i've been a lifelong athlete loved sports from a really early age um I mainly played volleyball, basketball, and ran track and field. Um, Volleyball kind of became my first passion. I joined a club team when I was in seventh grade and, you know, my mom's super tall. My whole family's really tall. I have big hands and big feet thought I was going to be five ten. turned out to be um, not, not even close. So my kind of volleyball dreams were dashed a little bit early on, but, um, Kind of alongside volleyball, I've been, been doing track and field. And because there's so many kind of plyometrics in, in volleyball, I was a pretty good long jumper and high jumper. Um, so knew I kind of wanted to continue on with athletics in college. Um, applied to a few different schools and ended up at Brown, was super excited and had talked to the coach. Um, and so I walked on the team as a long jumper and, you know, wasn't really sure what my path would be on the, on the track team, but knew I'd get a chance to play. Um, whereas with volleyball, I, I didn't have that kind of guarantee. Um, and then I had an amazing four years there and was lucky enough to be a captain my senior year. Um, and that's kind of my my athletic journey. And now I'm um, still working in the athlete space. So with a couple of other Brown grads, I, I co-founded Gallia Health, which you gave a kind of perfect summary of before.
0: Thanks. So I, I, I mean, we'll definitely get to I want to know more about the genesis of the company and, you know, how you got into it and how you are building it now. But I just wanted to ask you, I mean, we've talked a little bit before we recorded about your your background. So you chose to walk on at Brown as a track athlete, even though volleyball was sort of your first passion, right? And so can you just kind of talk a little bit more about that that path from walking on as a freshman to when you became a, a co-captain as a senior?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk a little bit kind of about that initial decision to do um, track over volleyball. Um, I kind of I, I absolutely love volleyball. But when I was thinking about college, I sort of wanted to take a step back and think, OK, what do I want out of this whole whole experience? Not just athletics, but what type of friends do I want to make? What type of schedule do I want to be able to have? Um, and what do I want my relationship with sport to be? And with track, I felt like it was something that was kind of uncharted territory for me in some ways. Um, I went to a small high school uh, in New York that didn't have a a super extensive track track program. So I felt like I had a lot more room to grow when it came to track. I knew I would be able to um, compete and I knew there was a team of over a hundred people and a co-ed team at that. Um, So I was just really excited about the kind of possibility of meeting so many people, having a community right away on campus um, and knowing that, I had a lot to learn and a lot to kind of improve upon. Um, so I think in some ways, and and we can talk more about this later, but that kind of uh, sort of curiosity about track ended up being something that really helped me throughout my, my kind of four years. Cause instead of kind of approaching it as this is who I am, I'm this amazing, you know, track star, volleyball player. I thought, you know, this is something new and something really exciting. And I know I'm not going to be the, you know, the rock star on the team the second I, I step on the track, but Um, that was really exciting to me and really kind of, I think that sort of looseness and curiosity is what actually allowed me to, to kind of improve as much as I did.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's sort of textbook sports psychology, you know, in terms of understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. the way we are internally motivated, right. When we're curious about something and we want to get better at it, it tends to be much more sustainable. Whereas if we have this impression that we've kind of made it, you know, so to speak, that maybe we, we aren't going to work as hard or maybe when things don't come as easily, we, we shut down. And so, I mean, I'm always, I'm always impressed by that, you know, in any athlete, regardless of age or sport. Um, I think the other thing that stands out in what you just said was, you know, you really were searching for a fit, right. And mm-hmm. a holistic fit for a college. And I'm curious, this, I hadn't really thought about this in, in preparing, but one of the things I hear a lot from the athletes I work with who are, you know, at high school going into college is, is the, the influence of social media and the influence mm-hmm. of social pressure in choosing a college, right? The, the, the idea that choosing the biggest name or the most kind of highest prestige name, you know, in a university um, is what's most important. I mean, did you have any of that influence in your choice?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely did. I think for me, the the high school I went to was very kind of academically intense and very competitive in an academic sense, but not Mm. so much in an athletic sense. Um, So I knew that I wanted athletics to be a big part of my life, but one, wasn't quite the caliber athlete to go to a really high profile kind of division one um, athletic program. And two, wanted a little bit more of a balance. So I was really looking at kind of smaller schools and um, D3 schools and um, I think when it came to kind of um, social media, I had actually a few friends who had been to, who had, who had gone to Brown. And so I had some familiarity with the school and they had sort of really positive relationships with it. Um, but I think I tried to kind of keep my decision as removed as possible from the kind of rumors I had heard about the school and the kind of perceptions I had seen online about the school because I knew that wouldn't really kind of ring true to my actual experience so the biggest thing for me was just having the opportunity to go to the campus to really talk to a bunch of other people on the team to talk to other athletes and so I think I definitely had some kind of you know biases going in when I was looking at, at different schools and kind of oh you know the school's supposed to be um super liberal or super this or super that. Um, But for me, I I felt like I had to actually do the research on the ground and and talk to people. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think I was influenced by social media, but made a really kind of concerted effort to try and, um, to try and actually talk to people and not go with what I had heard about the school.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. It's only natural, right? I think all of us, regardless of age or, or gender, there's ego involved in these decisions Mm -hmm. to a certain extent and prestige matters. And you're also thinking about, well, when I'm done with college, I'm probably going to go out into the world and get a job or do whatever people normally do. And having a prestigious name on my resume is going to help, right? And there's there's some element of that in every choice, whether it's academically driven or whether it's athletically driven, that's going to influence. But I think having the, the awareness to know that Hey, like, I know this is an issue, like, but I don't want it to drive the decision is really, you know, is really a a thoughtful way to, to address it. Um, And I think I mentioned this to you before, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who've played college sports at Mm -hmm. different places, different levels, different sports, all those things. And most of them are, have been, you know, recruited athletes, right. Or scholarship Mm -hmm. athletes. Um, You're a walk on, like, how did the recruitment process work for you as a walk-on?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I still, there's part of me that, that envies the people that were heavily recruited. And, you know, I remember, so I applied early to Brown um, and then got deferred. And I was so bummed because some of my, you know, athlete friends and friends who had gotten in early sort of had their whole thing kind of set up and they were really (laughs) excited. They only had to apply to one college. And then after Brown, you know, early decision didn't pan out for me. I kind of scrambled to do 15 other applications to different schools. But, um, you know, my hope was to get recruited for volleyball. But um, when that didn't happen, I got a few letters for track because I think track is one of the easier sports to recruit for. Cause it's so just kind of, all right, did you make the mark or not? So I was in the, in the kind of ballpark, but just under um, sort of where I needed to be as a long jumper. I was, I think I jumped 1710 and you really need to be jumping 18 to kind of be in the, in the Ivy league recruitment mix. Um, if it might even be more competitive now. Um, but so what kind of happened for me is um, I ended up getting into Brown um regular decision. And I was kind of choosing between a few colleges, but knew I really wanted to go to Brown, but still had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And and now I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and look at different schools and and see if maybe Brown wasn't the right pick for me, Um, but still ended up loving it. And um, I sent an email to the coach basically saying, um, uh, you know, I'm really interested in going to Brown. What are the kind of chances that I could be on the track team? And then uh, my uh, track coach at the time also sent an email, I think probably vouching for me. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, absolutely. Like, we'd love to have you on the team, like come and and, and talk to me um, sort of the first day of school and we'll, we'll kind of get things figured out. So I didn't really have a a tryout process. I think again, with, with any other sport I would have, but, but with track, it's just a little bit clearer if, if you're kind of in the range. Um, and I think if, if I hadn't been able to kind of make practices work and hadn't been able to kind of put in the work, then I wouldn't have been able to stay on the team, but there was no sort of formal tryout for me. So the kind of most One of the most profound memories I have about joining the track team is the first day I got on campus and I went to meet with um, the Brown Jumps coach, Coach Ken, Um, and, you know, he said to me, um, from this moment on, you're not a walk-on, you're a member of the team, so we're not going to treat you any differently, and I don't want you to think of yourself any differently. You're on this team now, you're at the same level as everyone else, and let's see what you can do. And so I think I also just lucked out with having an amazing coach who was willing to kind of believe in me and challenge me to step up kind of from day one. So I know other kind of walk-ons, it's a little bit more of a struggle of I got to prove myself, which I still felt, but Mm -hmm. just to be on the team. But um, I think I felt both welcomed and challenged kind of from the get-go, which was the perfect combination for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think one of the things I, I hear almost, you know, universally is, you know, that relationship with the coaching, the coaches, the coaching staff is really critical, right? In terms of, do you feel like they have your back? Do you feel like they're being honest with you? Right. You know, Mm -hmm. do you fit, right? Do I fit into all of this? Is their philosophy aligned with who I am as a person? And because it can be a struggle if that's not the case. It sounds like you had that support from day one, which I'm sure motivated you to even work harder than maybe you even would have because you knew this person was going to kind of invest in you as, as a member of the team as an equal versus, Hey, you know, that is the walk on, like, we'll just humor her and, you know, let her kind of grind it out.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And he was, I think I had, I had heard so many good things about him too. And from talking to other people on the team, pretty much just heard rave reviews about, about coach Ken. So I was really excited about kind of working with him as well. And I also had never, um, because my high school was kind of small and not super athletically focused, I had never actually had a jumps coach before, so right. I was really excited about what is technique for long jump. I didn't even really know that was a thing, so I just felt like I had so much to to learn. Um, but still appreciated that kind of that that sense of welcome and sense of sort of inclusivity right right from the start. Right,
0: absolutely. But but you make a great point, right? Because you were competing in high school probably on sheer physical you know ability right? Athletic ability, whereas you weren't being coached on the nuance of something that's really, really technical. And then all of a sudden you're sort of this, you know, pardon the metaphor piece of clay, right? Like where the coach yeah. is like, this person's, you know, she's right on the edge of where we would want her to be anyway. Oh, and by the way, she's never really been coached up in a way. So then there's all this runway, right? For you to come in and get all these new levels of skill added to your your repertoire to the point where it sounds like you are. Obviously, you know, competing, um, you know, as a senior, probably, I'm guessing, you know, much better than you were four years earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of my my crowning achievements is that I also got the most improved award as a senior, so that was kind of a a highlight for me. Is sort of over the course of four years, I really Mm -hmm. did have a kind of steady improvement trajectory. Um, But I think, kind of touching on that that same point you made, I think it was actually a huge benefit to me to come in. In some regards underprepared and I think seeing that as an asset was again something that was really really helpful um, because I think um, one there's just the kind of humility of, of being like all right I gotta work my you know work as hard as I can and, and and kind of um impress the coach impress the team but then two um there you know were other um, women on the team who were incredible athletes and much better jumpers than I was but because they had already been heavily coached, they had to relearn some of their skills, which they ended up doing, you know, doing an amazing job of. Um, but I didn't have to do that relearning as much because I really just had no technique at all. So I think, again, that was kind of a place where I could have seen it as, wow, all of these people came from, you know, really legit programs or have you know, awesome training, um, but ended up feeling like, okay, now... I don't know anything, so I'm probably I haven't I don't have as many kind of ingrained bad habits. So I think that was kind of a strange blessing, but in retrospect, I'm I'm sort of glad that I kind of came in so new.
0: Yeah, and and I think the reality of it is in any sport now, there's so much competition. There's so much training for young athletes who are training all year round. They're Mm -hmm. they're competing all year round. There's you know there's the element of burnout is very real, right? And yeah. you know, for you, it doesn't sound like you were so invested in track and field. You know, before college, it was part of your athletic, you know, you know, um, life, but it was not primary. That you know, you probably didn't have the same, you know, tread on the tire in terms of you know just kind of grinding out years and years and meets and and all the training. Whereas you know, for some people you know, getting to college, like you've been doing this for all these years and putting in all that work, it might be really hard, especially when you have to relearn some stuff when you think, oh, I already know it.
1: Right, completely. And one thing that um, my coach really emphasized was, um, you know, he'd say, be an athlete, don't be a long jumper, don't be a track star, just be an athlete. And I think that's something that it's often easy to lose sight of, especially in track, which can be so technical, is that, Okay. No, you're just still trying to learn. You're trying to train your body to do new things, and it's not just kind of going through the motions. It's just like actually being an athlete, jumping, and then kind of doing things that that should feel natural, but sometimes become so complex that that we lose sight of the fact that this is an athletic feat, not a you know super technical skill.
0: Right. And you've talked about that. You've made reference to that. I think a couple times in terms of the perspective. Right. Having, looking at something as an asset versus a liability, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at it as an opportunity, which I think a lot of athletes don't frankly have that perspective. They look at it as like, oh, like I have a deficiency and there's something wrong with me and I've got to fix it versus like, oh, wow, there's this like kind of clean slate in front of me. I'm going to go after it and get it. So I think that's really important. I mean, was there ever a time in your athletic career, whether it was any, you know, volleyball, track, whatever, or maybe you had some of that kind of thinking, you know, about like that you were, you know, you were self critical or you were hard on yourself. I mean, could you talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with, um, with volleyball, I had that kind of my sophomore and junior year when I was hoping to be recruited and just had kind of become so tense about the whole process and was feeling a little bit of burnout and was just kind of approaching it with so much stress and so much sort of perfectionism that -hmm. I was losing the kind of just intuition and, you know, responding to, to how people are playing and just trying to do sort of, you know, trying to perfect every move I was doing and ended up just playing much more tense and, sort of lost the kind of love for the sport versus the kind of with track, sort of the curiosity and openness, um, which, I mean, I had my ups and downs with track for sure. Um, but, um, and, you know, with long jump, it's such a mental game too, because you have to you know run as hard as you can, but not step over the line. And so it's, it's very much a, a kind of a mental game, but my coach again was very much about kind of trust the process and, I'll worry about getting you on the board, I'll worry about some of those things, and you just kind of go out there and be that athlete. And that's what he would kind of always say. And I think something that that I still think about, but in, you know, in different ways in my life.
0: It's really sound coaching, you know, when when you can get an athlete to just focus on what they can control and and take that mm-hmm. burden off of them, you know, of delivering a specific result and, and just sort of say, hey, go be yourself, go be an athlete, go have fun, whatever it is and not make it about, well, you have to do this or else, then you can focus on just putting in that effort and keeping a good attitude and, and keeping your focus where it needs to be. So that's really cool. Shout out to Coach Ken. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, new friend of the show. But, um, yeah. but uh, but I, you know, so... Did you? I'm just curious. So, with volleyball, you said you know sophomore and junior year with volleyball, you're sort of a little you know a little bit tense or or maybe uneasy about the recruiting process. Did you play volleyball as a senior?
1: So I played on my high school team, but I stopped playing club my senior okay. year. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of I really got got fully burnt out, and also it really was quite a lot to to try and do three seasons high school and then also club I'm sure so many athletes on the show do that too but it's, mm-hmm. it's really a lot it's a, lot, a, lot, a lot of them and I, I don't think there's quite as much sort of wiggle room as there is in, in college in terms of schedule and 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 things like that so That's I was really kind of underslept and and um not, not yeah. kind of not not at my peak performance in high school well
0: but it's you know it's not something that that all kind of will dwell on, but I do think it's an important point in that I do see with athletes overtraining Mm
1: -hmm. being
0: an issue, not only physically, like there's just not enough recovery built into the system, but it's mentally, right? You're not giving, you're not able to like give yourself a break. I have a lot of athletes who tell me like, I can't, well, if I don't do this, or if I don't train three times a day, someone's going to get an edge on me and they can't kind of wrap their head around, Hey, I just need to give myself my body a break, my mind a break and step away from it. This is not the only thing going on in my life. And frankly, I'm taking away from my performance by overdoing it in training. And I think that's just something that it seems commonsensical, but when you're Mm -hmm. in it, it's really hard to like break away from.
1: Completely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really true. And I think I've never really thought about how helpful it probably was to kind of take the load off my senior year, but I think I came in um, freshman year feeling pretty, pretty fresh and pretty ready to go. And I think to, again, one of the benefits of not, not having done a ton of track in high school is I, I was able to kind of avoid some injuries that I think I, I might've, gotten because track is such a kind of overused injury sport um but yeah I think the way we think of what it means to be prepared needs to be revised a little bit because I think the best preparation I kind of could do and this sounds a little bit cheesy but was just to kind of go in with with an open mind and with a sound work ethic and I think probably what I what I thought at the time was oh man I should be running 400s I should be you know, coming in in really intense shape. And I remember thinking that the summer before, before freshman year, like, oh, I'm just going to be dusted and all of the workouts. But um, I was just kind of burned out from high school and, and sort of needed a break. And so I took it, even though my kind of anxious, anxious mind was saying, you should be preparing, you should be preparing. And I think like the, paradoxically, the best preparation I, I kind of had was was rest and and not feeling like I had to kind of Prepare
0: everything. I think that's really important. You know, I think it's really important. And, you know, it's one of the struggles as a, a mental performance coach is, you know, mm. trying to persuade people that more physical investment is not necessarily going to give you the same return and that investing in mental preparation. Is maybe a better alternative, or at least at times, supplementing and kind of taking some physical away and putting in some mental so that you're preparing yourself. Because I think the lack of the tangible result in a mental training program, a lot of times, is what people just sort of question and say, like, hey, like, what am I going to get out of this? How do I know this is going to be worth it? Whereas if I train, I could say I did it, right? And I sort of know it's going to change my body, it's going to change my time. It doesn't always work that way, but that's what people assume. And so it is really. Tricky. So I have to imagine that all of that put together to kind of transition a bit, all of those experiences are what led you into the Gallia founding Mm -hmm. venture, the business. Like, can you talk about how you got together with your co-founders who I think most everybody, is everybody Brown or most of the people?
1: Three of the four. Yeah. 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 So um there definitely was kind of a, a direct correlation from my athletic experience to founding Gallia. Um, so it really kind of happened my um, senior year. I was in a class with Braden, who's the CEO. Um, and he has an also really powerful story. He kind of grew up in, in Canada playing hockey and then, um, suffered a series of traumatic brain injuries that, that ended his hockey career right before he kind of headed into Brown. So He was recruited and coming in as a freshman. And then that kind of, um, year before his, his kind of career ended and he ended up having, um, uh, serious concussion symptoms for the next three, four years, took a medical year, really kind of went through the ringer, but, um, Uh, Still was super passionate about athletics and um, had felt kind of during his experience, like there wasn't really anywhere to turn from a kind of emotional support perspective, I think, especially in hockey, which which is really kind of about toughness and 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 things like that. It was it was tricky to kind of find support Um, And I had a a somewhat similar experience. I kind of struggled with some anxiety and depression in high school, um, kind of leading into college. For me, my relationship with sport was kind of a a key sort of mental health outlet and and coping mechanism for me. So I had kind of a less fraught relationship with sport, but was very passionate about both mental health and athletics. And um, as a senior on the team, um, and one of the co-captains was starting to figure out, okay, how do I play a support role for my teammates? How do I kind of recognize what they're going through and how do I balance wanting to hold teammates accountable and wanting to kind of create space for mental health and self care and things like that. Um, and so I started talking with, um, Braden, uh, kind of about what we felt like was a gap in, in mental health support for athletes. Um, people had talked to kind of campus counselors, but they didn't really understand the nuances of the athlete experience, um. And so we kind of thought, you know, why isn't there sort of one hub that people can go to 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 connect with uh, mental health support from professionals who really understand the athlete experience, who either have sports psych degrees or were athletes themselves, you know, at the high school collegiate or professional level. Um, And so we took a class together um, that was about kind of entrepreneurship and innovation and started kind of brainstorming and coming up with this idea in this class and then did a bunch of research on our own time um, and applied for a grant from Brown, kind of got a grant to get the website going. And then honestly, we took a bit of a break. We had the summer and then Brayden started work in consulting. And I actually moved to um, Kenya for uh, what was going to be a year at the time. And then COVID struck and we kind of, regrouped and sort of got back into it and then we actually posted an internship at brown and annie who's our um one of our other co-founders applied for the internship she was a gymnast she had also had some kind of uh, mental health struggles um and she joined as an intern and then was just so awesome that we we tried to keep her around so she joined as a co-founder after that and um our fourth co-founder um Ben, who's our, our tech guy. Um Braden connected with him at um he's consulting at Bain. So they kind of connected at, at Bain and, and Ben grew up in Canada, was a boxer, and also kind of had that, that athlete connection. So it's kind of a winding story, but but that's how we sort of all kind of got together. It's a kind of shared experience of of some sort of struggle and a passion for sports.
0: Yeah. I mean. I think it's great, obviously, um, being in the field. I mean, I have a similar experience myself in terms of the, some of the things I've been through my on my own and how that's kind of inspired me and led me to, to where this is. And I think one of the things that's really important is, is that there are like you sort of made reference to the fact that there are many different types of providers out there, right? There's the clinicians mm-hmm. right, with the PhDs and the psychiatrists who have, you know, our doctors. And then there's the mental performance coaches like myself, but there's other people out there who are trained differently and it isn't necessarily good or bad. It's really about finding the right fit for you. And I think ultimately for me, anyway, the message is being able to, you know, helping people find a way to ask for help and give mm-hmm. them make the easiest possible path to, I think I need someone to help me and it's okay to do that, right? So can you like, so then, you know, you you come together with the idea, you got the group, you guys sound like it's a it's a really well formed team in terms of experiences and like, so take me one step further, like what, what does the platform look like or what do you want it to be? Like what's your vision for what this becomes?
1: Yeah, so we honestly, we started out with kind of a loose idea of, all right, there needs to be kind of better mental health support um, in the athlete community. And we pretty much cold emailed a bunch of therapists who had kind of a sports psych background um, or looked like they worked with athletes and just kind of tried to get a read on sort of what their opinions were, what was going on in in kind of the athlete mental health space. And we started to think about um, kind of athlete, mental strength, mental health as sort of a continuum from kind of mental health to mental performance. And we were kind of grappling with this the whole time because We love the kind of toughness and the resiliency and the the mental strength we learned from sports and we didn't want to kind of like lose the, no, this is still amazing and sports are awesome. We're not kind of trying to say, oh, sports kind of hurt your mental health, but it's about sort of the relationship you have with sports, relationship you have with your mental health. So we saw it as this continuum kind of between, you know, mental performance and mental health. And we talked to a number of providers who were, you know, said, oh, I'm a sports psychologist, but I actually don't really work on issues like depression, I work on issues like motivation or issues like, um, performance anxiety, but not clinical anxiety. But if you're just really nervous about, you know, a meet you have coming up. So we started to kind of tease out the differences between mental health providers and mental performance providers and the people that kind of do both or do things that are in between. And so what the platform is right now is, um, um, we have it, uh, so mental health, providers are licensed by state, which we kind of learned late later on in the process. Um, <laughs> and so we have uh, mental health providers in, um, five different States. So we've kind of launched, um, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and California. And those are people that have athlete experience and also have a kind of a license. um, uh, either social work degree or a licensed degree in, um, supporting mental health. And so what we really thought was important was people who had been athletes, people who understood the athlete experience. So we're launched in five States there. Our goal is to kind of launch in all 50 States and, you know, Braden and Ben are Canadian. So we'll we'll head up North as well. Um, And really just kind of become the the go-to place for athletes to kind of log on, find a, a therapist that actually gets the athlete experience or find a mental performance coach who maybe has direct experience and they can filter oh, I want someone who's worked with figure skating. And then you'll find someone that's worked with figure skating, things like that. So that's kind of the, the vision right now. Um, our kind of long-term thing that we would love to, to have happen would be to be paneled with insurance and to have some universities or some leagues actually um, cover the service for their athletes because we know that you know stigma is a big thing, but also affordability is just a, a massive challenge for, for mental health, mental performance things. I,
0: I think that is... I would say the afford well, I wouldn't say it's the biggest, but it is a huge barrier to entry, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many different types of athletes from so many different types of, you know, uh, oh, my goodness. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. <laughs> um, but we'll just keep going. Uh, you know, there's so many different types of athletes from so many socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Please stop. <laughs> I should have shut my phone off. Uh this is like literally the first time this has ever happened, but so I funny. guess it's the first time for everything. Um, <laughs> so, but the accessibility part of it, right? And mm-hmm. most of the people that are in this field Especially if you don't take insurance, but even if you do, a lot of people don't have insurance that covers this type of service. So the affordability piece of it and finding different providers that fit or finding different, right, or getting someone to to sponsor or subsidize it so that there's accessibility. uh, Somebody with, you know, the quote unquote deeper pockets, but also has the, you know, has the same interest, the same motivation as you do. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to skin that cat and there's a lot of ground to cover. Um, is there any educational component to what you're doing in terms of really trying to um, help educate people about the benefits of mental health? What it is that you know athletes you know could really benefit from? Is there any uh, educational part? To what you're yeah,
1: doing? yeah, that's a great question and kind of raises this sort of bigger issue that we're trying to tackle, which is that athletes experience mental health challenges at the same rate, or in some cases, with challenges like OCD or eating disorders, higher rates than non athletes, but they seek out mental health support way less often than right. non athletes. And you know, I definitely was kind of, kind of slow to, to kind of seeking support in my own journey, because I think I did internalize a lot of that. No, I'm tough. I don't need support, things like that. So we think that education around kind of mental health and that, you know, asking for support isn't a sign of weakness and vulnerability is not weakness. Mm-hmm. It can just be kind of a different kind of strength is something that we've been thinking a lot about in terms of how to um, kind of share that message. So we built out um, resources, blog resources, kind of on the website, on our um, Instagram we kind of share um, different posts about whether it's about you know the prevalence of OCD and athletes or eating disorders or um, whatever it might be because there's actually a lot of kind of specific mental health challenges that athletes face that people don't realize there's higher prevalency rates of OCD in athletes unless maybe they had OCD or they knew right. someone that that kind of had experienced OCD um, so we're working on kind of continuing to put out put out um, blogs that kind of dissect specific uh, mental health challenges in the athlete community and also just kind of putting out more athlete stories and resources that kind of help destigmatize mental health in a community that's so committed in a wonderful way but also a challenging way to to toughness and resiliency. Um, And then one other thing that uh, we're really hoping to do down the line is to start um, creating more kind of support resources for people around athletes, so parents, friends, you know, girlfriends, whatever it might be. Um, because I think you know, talking with um, some of my peers who were intense athletes and struggled with eating disorders, they said actually the the biggest thing would have been you know, in addition to kind of the therapy, which was amazing, would have been if my parents had some sort of course they could have taken that would say, here's how to support your daughter who's you know, an elite figure skater, but also struggling with an eating disorder. So in the kind of longer run, building up that community support.
0: I love that. And I can tell you that I think there's a really significant demand for that because I can, I've had parents of clients, high school clients actually come to me and say like, can you give me advice about how to deal with my son You know, and, you know, what should I be doing? I I tried this, I tried that, it's not working. You know, what should I do? And I think it's, it's, you know, it's such a strong emotional connection between a parent and a child. And, you know, you want the best for your children. I'm a parent. You know, sometimes we lose our objectivity, right? Mm -hmm. Because of all that we have invested in it, not just emotionally, but financially, all those things that go with, you know, having our children compete in sports that sometimes we get a little bit, you know, um, you know, biased or jaded about what it's supposed to look like. And when we don't get the results that we want, the way we behave isn't exactly what, you know, would be ideal. And I think the parent education side of it um, is huge. And I think, you know, I, 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 one of the things that I've incorporated, you know, identified in, in my coaching is you know, helping kids to be able to ask for help, especially for this this cohort, right? This sort of high school to college where you're, most kids in high school who are being recruited to play college athletics are the stars, right? They're the best of the Mm -hmm. best, Mm -hmm. the best on their team, the best on their county, they're nationally recognized in a lot of places now, and then they go to college and then they're with the best of the best and there's much more failure and they don't know how to go and ask somebody for help or seek out the feedback that they need to get better because they've never had to do it before. So a lot of the things that I try to do is, hey, how do you help? You know, what are some of the things you can do to ask? How do you ask questions or why is this okay to go Mm -hmm. ask for help? Because if you don't, you're going to internalize it, which then goes from a performance issue potentially to something much bigger Mm -hmm. because your identity is so tied up in athletics. If you don't perform at the level you want, then it becomes, well, I'm not good enough or how do I get right. better? And then you get all these things, the burnout, the overuse, maybe you've get substance right. issues, you know, right. addiction issues, because you're trying to cope with something that you've never really dealt with before. And so I'm really, really cognizant of that. And I think it's really important what, you know, work that, that Galley is doing that you're all doing to try to bring light to that.
1: I'm curious to, with um, the kind of parents who sort of ask, ask you for your advice, your help, do you kind of have, is it really case by case for you? Like, oh, I, you know, I'm working with this, this kid or this young athlete and I, I know what they need or is it kind of like you're giving similar advice to, to different sets of parents saying, what you need to do is listen or what you need to do is ask these types of questions or how do you, do you think kind of one course could help support all parents or you think it's really about the specificity of, of what kids are going through?
0: That's a really great, qu- that's a really great question. I, I do think there are certain principles that apply across the board. Um, so for me, you know, to, for me, I, I think, listen, you know, if I could tailor advice to a parent based upon the relationship that I have with their son or daughter, I will. And, and the relationship that I have with them, I think there needs to be, you know, trust. I have to be mm-hmm. careful about right. having a relationship with a parent that, you know, is sort of conflicting with, you know, my responsibility to the athlete. So, you know, it depends is always the answer in psychology. Um, right. But but I would say there are things, I think principles, right? It is about the listening, it's about being able to step away and letting the athlete find their own experience and asking questions that are open, right? They're open-ended mm-hmm. questions, you know, sort of learning some of those counseling skills that we learn, which is to say, hey, ask the question, let them try to solve the problem on their own, as opposed to feeling like they're being judged or their, their conditions being placed on their performance. Because I think that that, to me, my personal theory or, or opinion is, is that a lot of this has to do with the inability of parents to disconnect performance from the kid. Mm-hmm. And so the kids see it as, well, you think I'm a bad kid because I'm not performing. And the parents certainly in almost all instances don't feel that way, but the language and the behavior doesn't necessarily show that. And so the kid, especially when you're not emotionally mature, you don't understand the difference. So you think right. your parents are judging you as a person based on your performance. And that's, that's really hard when you're you know, 12, 13, 15, 17 years old. It's, it's really challenging.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something we've kind of been asking ourselves and thinking about as we try and create resources is, you know, how helpful is generic information? And I do think that there are some things like listening and kind of even just frameworks for, for actual open questions um, people have actually found really helpful. And sometimes it's helpful to see like, oh, this is how you you could ask this question. But but it's definitely definitely a
0: challenge yeah and I think from a business side and I struggle with this as well I think it's thinking about what are the levels of service that you provide to people mm-hmm. right you know from a business model right is it one size fits all is it one price fits all this right. is like for me is like oh this is my price no not necessarily right like there are different people mm-hmm. that have different needs and trying to create different levels of service so there's an affordability aspect there's right. also a you know then this person might not need you know you know, handholding or close attention, they might just need a little bit of guidance in the form of a generic resource, because they have a mm-hmm. good sense of, you know, what's what's out there, and they understand the issues, they just want a little bit more clarity or just real affirmation that they're in the right spot. So right. that's always something, you know, that I struggle with, certainly. And I think it's something we're always thinking about as as entrepreneurs, right? Like, how do we make this accessible, but we also yeah. make it a venture that that makes sense for us to invest our time in?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah the biggest challenge for sure.
0: Yeah. There's a lot to think about. Um, so I I guess I would say is, you know, from where you're sitting now, like, is there anything else that you'd want to share about Gallia or what you're doing that you think it's important for people to know?
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the, the, the kind of first thing is just, um, I guess, okay. I guess two things. So, Um, one is I just think, um, as someone who, this is, I guess, a little bit of like a letter to my younger self type of thing, but Mm -hmm. I was someone that, you know, was very skeptical of, um, of therapy when I was in high school and very much identified with being kind of the tough one and the one who never cried. And, um, I think the most interesting part about now being someone that's, that's kind of gone to therapy is that. I don't think I've lost any of my my toughness. Um, I think I've just kind of learned sort of a a new kind of vocabulary for how to express myself. But I guess I would just kind of say that for anyone who might be thinking about um, seeing a therapist or you know recommending that their kids see a therapist, um, is that it doesn't get in the way of performance. It often enhances it, and that it doesn't get in the way of strength. It often enhances it, Um, and. Um, I think one other thing that's kind of part of the broader mission of Gallia is trying to kind of nuance what it means to be an athlete and to kind of share the stories that, that, um, athletes have, you know, so Brayden and Annie have both published, um, stories on Gallia about kind of what they've been through and what sort of the athlete experience means to them. Um, And what we're kind of trying to do is, is sort of say, you know, there's not one right way to be an athlete. It doesn't, everyone doesn't have to be, you know, like Michael Jordan and that level of kind of intensity there's even though you can be, and that's amazing. um, But just that, that athletes can be a lot of different things. They can be strong and they can be vulnerable, but also they can be athletes and they can be artists and they can be academics. And I think that was, Um, another thing that was really valuable about being a walk-on is I thought, okay, I got to figure out who else I am outside of this sport, because I might not be able to stay on this team for all four years. And so I guess that's, that's, you know, partly Gallia I think is awesome in that way is that there's a lot of stories that, that people can kind of read there, um, that will give them a sense of, oh, there's, there's different ways to be an athlete. And also I think something that I would, I would say to, to athletes who are, um going into their freshman year or sophomore year junior year kind of any year in college um is to kind of stay open to to things outside of sports because sometimes it can actually enhance your connection with athletics in ways that you you don't really understand or even you know working in entrepreneurship is is made me feel like I'm identifying way more as an athlete and and using all of these skills of kind of performance and all all of these other things so I think um yeah, just, just not getting boxed in and, and really kind of thinking about how, how broad and dynamic it, it can be to be an athlete.
0: Sure. I think, listen, I, I love that. Um, I feel the same way. You know, in my business, I think there's a lot of elements of trying to start a company and build a company that relate mm-hmm. to athletics in terms of the challenges we face, the failure, the you know, the the doubts, the confusion, you know, all those things. Um you know, and I think that's really important. And I think identity is something that comes up a lot in, with anybody I talk to um, it, as it relates to sport, because sometimes, our, you know, sport can overwhelmingly kind of assume we can, our identity assumes that we're an athlete and that's it. Right. And when things don't go the way we want them to, because I'm this or that, a baseball player, a track athlete, a soccer player, swimmer, whatever, and it doesn't work out, well, then- then we don't know where to turn, or then we're super hard on ourselves because that's the way we think of ourselves. And I think it is important to understand that there are other elements to life and that you don't necessarily have to put all that egg, all your eggs in that basket. And frankly, to your point, can make you a better athlete because you have some some semblance of balance, right? Which right. can be sort of a, a mirage, I guess, at times. But you know, we're constantly working at it. I I you know, I, I think it's really important. Um I, I I wasn't necessarily planning you to ask this to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it as sort of a kind of a final one. Um, is there any book resource, anything that you sort of would go to or refer people to as something that they might want to kind of be like a go to, you know, resource out there for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's actually two books that kind of come to mind. Um, one of them I just read, it came out recently, is called Bravey by Alexi Papas, and she was a um, runner at uh, Dartmouth, and then she went on to compete in the Olympics for Greece, and she kind of after uh, the Olympics, then kind of experienced a, a pretty serious bout of depression, and kind of throughout the book, she talks about sort of all of the things we've been talking about at it- about today, sort of what it means to be an athlete, what it means to kind of think about mental health. Um, She also has done, um, directed some movies. So she's this really kind of dynamic and fascinating person who kind of breaks the mold of, oh, this is how I should be as an athlete or as a woman or or kind of any Mm -hmm. of these categories. Um, And it's a really kind of fun book. I would recommend it to parents. I would recommend it to people who are going into, into college, kind of any age. Um, and then another one that I think is really an amazing read, but definitely um, fairly heavy is What Made Maddie Run, um, which is by Kate Fagan. Um, and it's about uh, Madison Holleran, who um, was a, again, track and field runner at um, the University of Pennsylvania, and she um, died by suicide after her freshman year. And the book really deals with kind of perfectionism, with the challenges of, of going into freshman year, of being in this new place, of kind of um, trying to be, be perfect in so many different ways. And I think it's a really kind of thought-provoking book to, to kind of read and to think about, um, you know, for someone who has a kid going into freshman year, or a sibling or, or, or whatever it might be, um, just kind of how to support and what, what some of the, the struggles that, that people might go through are. Um, so I think those are my two, my two kind of athlete mental health books that I, that I would recommend. Yeah.
0: Those are great suggestions. I am familiar with the story about with Madison and Mm -hmm. I had had not read the book. So I'm definitely going to pick that one up. I think it sounds great, but they both sound great and really on topic. So as we wrap up, so where can we learn more about Gallia and you and whatever you want to sort of tell the listeners. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so I personally am on a social media cleanse right now, so I don't have Instagram, but, um, the Gallia health Instagram is active. Um, so that's Gallia G A L E A health. Um, and then, um, probably the best place to go is the website, which is www.galliahealth.com. Um, and you'll find resources, athlete stories, if you're in one of our five launch states, you'll find a network of providers who have been athletes and are passionate about supporting athlete mental health, um, and hopefully we'll be expanding to other states really soon. So um, we can also, if people are interested, um, kind of sign up for the, for the wait list or let us know what state, state that they're in, and, and we'll kind of follow up with um, a list of um, uh, providers or a, or a date that we'll be launching in that state.
0: Excellent. Well, everybody who's listening, please check it out. And Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a great conversation and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to to do it again, part two in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Mike, this was awesome.
0: (laughs) Thank you. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Rachel McMahon? For me, it was that the mental health challenges associated with being a high level athlete are very real. Athletes that have a higher purpose beyond competing in sport are more likely to keep a healthy perspective to sports role in their lives. Further, having a larger purpose like that of Rachel's can lead to success when sports end. My suggestion to young athletes is to think about their values and what is important to them outside of sport. Maintaining perspective on the importance of athletics in our lives can help us optimize performance and more importantly, maintain our mental health. I want to thank Rachel for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Gallia Health on their website at galliahealth.com or their Instagram at galliahealth. You can learn more about the Freshman Foundation on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back for episode 22. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram, at the Freshman Foundation. Please, subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks ready to get better.